The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Oh, Lloyd, today our show is about the intersection of law, technology, the cloud, all sorts of really important cutting-edge issues in privacy. And I got to tell you, I'm so thrilled because we are bringing on my new fearless leader of the state of California law practice management and technology section of the the state bar of California. I said that backwards. Anyway, I love Perry. I was so thrilled to meet Perry Siegel a few years ago when I joined the uh, State of California Executive Committee on Law Practice Management and Technology. He is brilliant, and we just recently made him our new chair, and oh my goodness, wait till you hear him. He's brilliant. He's fun. He's great. And so let me, without further ado, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his bio. Perry Siegel is one of the most prominent voices in California on the intersection of law and technology. He's a licensed California attorney, and his specialties include both civil and criminal litigation, electronic data discovery, and electronically stored information, enterprise management, disaster recovery, and compliance. Perry has more than 20 years of experience working with many large firms, including Hughes space and communications turner broadcasting systems nbc universal sony pictures entertainment 20th century fox and careerbuilder.com and more and working with all of us at that state bar committee he consulted with the los angeles county district attorney's office protecting our kids program which helps parents and other concerned adults safeguard the internet activities of young people and it protects kids from online predators and prevents them from engaging in internet crime. He's very active in the State Bar. As I told you, he's the new chair of the State Bar of California Law Practice Management and Technology section. And he is just um, such a, a great leader for us, and he's brilliant. And you're going to hear us learning right now about all the important things about the cloud, which I think are, are a little bit scary right now. And I had the privilege of sitting in on his program at the State Bar Annual Meeting in Monterey last October. And it he was just um, really awe-inspiring. So thank you so much, Perry, my fearless leader. How are you? Uh, uh, thanks, Mari, for that great introduction. I'm doing well. I would only say that I pretty much go by fearful leader. <laughs> Uh, rather than fearless, but uh, other than that, you got it all right. Okay. 
So let's talk about what it means to be in the cloud. Well, I uh, take a broad view of what the cloud is because I think that's safer for my clients and the people that I uh, consult with. And so when they ask me what's the cloud, I basically say any computer system that you attach to that you do not have control over. Wow. So that would be past your personal devices, your work devices, for example, but anything that you go out to the Internet and someone else has control of those devices. That would be my definition of the cloud. Well, it's all around us then, right? Correct, and that's why they call it the cloud. But, you know, it's just a new word for something that's really been around for 20, 30 years. Right. So let's talk about confidentiality. Is there any confidentiality in the cloud and with all the devices that access it? Well, I'm going to give you a lot of mixed answers. A lot of them are going to be, it depends. <laughs> and then I'll have to flesh it out. And the reason is because it depends on who your cloud vendor is. And the answer for some of them is yes, and the answer for others is no. So it really gets down to the person's due diligence in knowing who they're doing business with and how they secure your information. And, of course, the rule that I apply to that is if it's free, it's probably less secure than if you're paying for it as a, as a first rule of thumb. Mm. And then you get into areas of, uh, as we've all read in the papers, you know, very dependable systems have been hacked or have crashed. So even when they mean to be, you know, secure and confidential, that may not be the case. So you really have to do your shopping. Well, when you're talking about being free, okay, like whether we're on you know, Gmail or whether we're in Facebook or LinkedIn, those are all free. Is that what you're talking about too? Yeah, well, that's the thing that a lot of people sort of don't really get with the cloud is that, is that it isn't just, say, systems that you put data on. Facebook is the cloud. Twitter is the cloud. Your email systems, if you're using someone else's, even if you pay for them, it's the cloud. Um, uh, yes, and, and I don't want to pick on Google, but there's some good examples as to the difference between confidentiality and security. For example, uh, for attorneys, Google is secure, but it's not confidential. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people are unaware, and especially attorneys, that Google scans all of your emails and data that you place on their systems which technically in most states violates an attorney's duty to confidentiality of client data. So this is a distinction I have to make quite often. The general public, of course, isn't quite held to the standard that the attorneys are, but they do need to understand that their data may be secure but not confidential. And, well, you know what, though, Perry, it applies to everybody who's listening in because they may think that they're sending emails that are confidential and saying things in those emails that they would probably die if they knew that, you know, G, uh, that Google was watching that and collecting that, right? Yes, that's, that's exactly correct. The only distinction I make is that attorneys can actually uh, get into, and other professionals who need to secure data can get into some big trouble with regulatory agencies for violating that confidentiality. The general public is facing a different kind of risk, which, of course, is disclosure or just the fact that, you know, private isn't necessarily private. Yeah, and I'm thinking like all the financial services when you're talking about attorneys and accountants and, exactly. and all the financial services yeah. who are, you know, subject to that. So you're absolutely right. But I wanted yeah. to make sure that the students who are listening in here at the University of California, that they understand this applies to them, too. 
Absolutely. And they, a fact, lot of them use Gmail, right? Yes. And, and in fact, because uh, younger people have been exposed to technology much quicker than us older folks, a lot of times they are completely unaware of how much of their privacy they give up simply by possessing the devices like smartphones and, and uh, laptops, anything that's connected wirelessly, for example. Yeah, iPads, all that. So you were talking about the, the difference, and we should talk now a little bit about the difference between confidentiality and security in the cloud. So how about the security in the cloud and with the devices that access it? Well, um, and this is the issue, is, is um, depending on how you're set up, the systems all sync with each other or uh, propagate information. That's certainly the way that my systems are set up. If I make a a change to an appointment on my smartphone, it automatically propagates to my cloud service and then out to my laptop and desktop and any device I want. Now, that part we love. Pardon me? I said that part we love, that it right. syncs. <laughs> Except that it ha the devil is in the fact that if a hacker gets hold of your information, they can do that in reverse. Right. And, and recently in the, in the paper, some of your listeners probably read about a, a, an expert from Apple uh, who used Apple uh, Cloud in which hackers got into his cloud account, wiped out all the data, which propagated down to all of his other devices and wiped it all out, including his backups. Right. So he, he had a big problem. And, and this is the thing is it can work for you, but it can also work against you in the wrong hands. Oh, my gosh. Now, you know, I really loved your program at the State Bar. It was so informative. And at the, at the bar, you gave a whole list of questions to get answered by businesses that when you're choosing a cloud, and I think that's really important because you said earlier, you said, hey, you know, it depends on how confidential or it depends how secure, depending on the cloud provider. So you gave us a bunch of questions on how to even choose a cloud provider. And I know that you have more than we're going to talk about because we have a lot to talk about. But can you give us like a handful of those? Sure. And I just want to say that, say that I did that presentation with my uh, LPMT uh, uh, member, Donna Sile, who's also a member of our group. And we, um, we came up with a list of, of 31 questions that um, attorneys or professionals should ask before accessing the cloud. Now, this didn't mean that the attorneys, for example, needed to know the answers. They could hand it over to uh, technology uh, consultants or somebody helping them. They can also give it to the vendor to get the answers. And also, remember, we're kept to much stricter rules. So the idea was, here's the kitchen sink. The individual can go through this list and pick out what makes sense to them. But so, for, so Perry, uh, for my purposes, I'll cover about a half a dozen, and then we have the document posted on the web that, uh, that your listeners can access if they like. So let's start with my number well, one, and it's wait, like wait, real wait, estate. Wait, wait, Perry, location, just, location, Perry, location, location. Perry, just I want to stop you for a second because I want people to understand that you're going to give ones that apply to every business, whether it's a mom and pop business with people, you know, that are working from their home that have a lot of data, mm -hmm. um, or we're talking about big corporations. So this is really everybody, including yeah. attorneys, and quite frankly, individuals as well. Exactly. Uh, even if you're doing it for personal use. Yes. You're going to want to follow these rules. So okay. going back to point number one, as I say, location, location, location. And I don't just mean physical location, but that is the first part. Where are their computer systems housed? Where are their backup systems housed? Very important. 
um, you know, depending on what you're involved in, if the data isn't housed somewhere near your location, this could cause a lot of trouble if there's problems in the future. Even if it's in another part of the state or in a different state or even outside of the United States. And that rolls into part two, is even if some of the physical servers are nearby, that doesn't mean your data is housed nearby. The way that a lot of the systems work is they back up the data to other sources. We've had uh, people who think their data is sitting nearby in Orange County when, in fact, the data is being backed up to uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, mm. um, Canada, um, or anywhere in the United States. And the issue there is that they have separate privacy laws and rules in these places. The actual attempt to retrieve your data from those locations can be a big problem. It can actually violate the law. Wow, wow. So how do you how do you find that out? You ask them, right? You just, when you're going to choose them, or if you're going to have maybe your consultant choose them, you ask them these questions, you know, where... Do you back it up, and where do you store it, right? Right. Uh, you, you've got to ask them, and they, they should tell you where those locations are. Another thing you can add to that is find out whether your data is dedicated to its own portion of a server or whether it's what we call multi-tenant, meaning that they commingle it with other people's data, which may be something that you do not wish for your confidential data. Wow. And also, again, for certain professionals, can violate confidentiality rules. Right. So really, you've just got to press them and have them answer those questions for you. Hmm. And then moving on to the other big one is encryption. And we recommend that at the very least, a person should be getting uh, what we refer to as Tier 4, 256-bit encryption, which is also known as bank-level security. Um, we feel that your data is at risk unless the cloud provider encrypts it at that level. So that's something you can ask them, you know, at what level, tier one, tier tier four, um, they should be able to answer that question for you as well. Good. Um, another big factor is the uptime of the systems. Um, everybody's read in the paper about certain cloud providers that have crashed, uh, taking down data with them. Uh, they should be able to give you their uptime reports um, and you should be looking at something that should be really about 99.999% uptime because with the what we call redundant systems, they should never crash. Um, and you can also ask them for their service level agreements as to what they agree to provide for you, as to how much their systems do have to be up, and any what we call continuity plan, that is making sure that you stay in business if the systems have a failure. Right. So that would be uh, my number three point. Uh, number four is something that people wouldn't really think about as much, and that's who has access to the data. And I'm not talking about through computer systems. I'm talking about the actual employees or security personnel at these facilities. The reality is the easiest way to hack systems isn't through the technology. It's through the people. And so what you would want to know is how do they screen their security and employees for these facilities? Do they run the employees through any kind of criminal or background check to determine, you know, that they're secure? Because, because that is actually a higher risk in a lot of cases than technology. And then moving on to number five is a, a notification of a breach. If they do have a breach, 
what uh, is their what is their procedure for informing you? Um, California just passed a law recently that requires um, companies to inform you. Prior to that, many companies would not even bother to inform of a breach because they didn't want the public relations headache. Now it's required, but not necessarily that quickly. So you need to know their policy. If there's a breach or a problem, how are they going to let you know and how quickly? And, and, and then, the scary part... Number six on the list, which is, sounds a little bit interesting, do they carry what's called cyber insurance? Right. Do they carry not just insurance on you know losing the equipment, but for any losses related to the loss of your data? Are they insured against you know the, the broader losses, and are you insured if your data is compromised? So that's my top six, and then you only have 25 more to go through on the list. <laughs> well, I just wanted to go back to that security breach because people, you know, um, I think it's so important that they do have cyber insurance because if they have a security breach, you're the one that's going to have to notify all your clients or all your customers because you have to tell them about that security breach. So Correct. That, it's like a cascade situation where yeah. you, it gets to you and then you have the problem of uh, making your clients happy. Right. That's so, the thing that's sometimes lost in the mix is yeah. you could have a big public relations nightmare yes. if there's an issue with your data. Right. And so then that cyber insurance would be really important because then you could tell them, hey, you got to pay for what we have to do now. Correct. So and that's, it can get very expensive depending uh, on the size of your client load. Yes, very expensive. You know, I know you have these 31. Could you just give the URL, and then we'll put it up on the website as well. Can you give the URL that people can get the those 31 questions? Sure. It's a bit of a long URL, but I'll, I'll try to make it simple. It's www.ediscoverycalifornia.com. That's all one word, the letter E, discoverycalifornia.com, forward slash, and then the number 31, shortcloudquestions.pdf. So it's forward slash 31 shortcloudquestions.pauldavidfrank, PDF. It loads an Adobe uh, form for those who are familiar with it. Okay, and, we'll, and you'll we'll, get about a five, six-page sheet on the, all the questions and some advice for the vendors. Oh, that's so great. We love you for sharing that. And we will definitely link that to our website. Great. So let's let's go on because... Most everybody listening to this show does some kind of social networking. So what, you know, I know you talked a little bit about the concerns being out there, the confidentiality. Tell us, what should we do when we're in social networking? I know you do a lot of social networking. You do Facebook, you do Twitter, you do LinkedIn, and me too. So what should we all be doing? Well, I think the first thing to remember, and I can't stress this enough, is that anything that you post um, to the web, you should consider that it will be available for every, forever to everyone. And a lot of people uh, don't believe that, but the way computer systems work is a lot different than other systems. Just because you have something that you've placed and then you delete it, um, many people think it goes away. The reality is, in most cases, it doesn't. And you may not be able to see it, but the copy is still there. So I usually give the advice of either, before you press send, count to 10 and think about, you know, is it okay that this, whatever it is you're posting, is available to everybody in the world forever? And if that doesn't work, I always tell people to envision that their mom is looking over their shoulder and would she be okay with what they're posting? (laughs) 
that's that's very good advice. I, I know even the company like Reputation Defender that we've had on our show, even they say you can't delete this stuff. They just will put more and more information on the web about you so it kind of buries it. So maybe 20 years from now, it'll be buried, but tr- the truth of the matter is somebody could find it if they needed it. Yes, and the other thing is that's, say, if you're looking at it on a list on the web, which is true, and they call that part of SEO or uh, uh, optimization. But if I'm a forensic guy going into a company and I'm looking for data, that rule doesn't apply because I'm simply searching the systems. And if that information is there, I'm going to find it. And and that's the thing is you're right. that the, In fact, Many uh, irreputable uh, uh, companies will actually create their own articles and use the word fraud, scam, etc., with the sole purpose of having their own articles come up and bury any complaints about them further down in a Google search where people won't see it, for example. Right. But for me, I'm going into a system, I'm doing a forensic um, a look at their actual systems, and that information is likely to still be there. It can be there 10 to 15 years um, after it was supposedly deleted. I think about that for these students that are just like trying to act cool or something. They might just cringe when they see what they wrote even five years from now, right? Well, I'm actually glad that they didn't have these facilities when I was a kid because I can only imagine what I might have posted there because as a kid, you don't think about the repercussions. As adults, it. we start thinking more and more about these things. You know, the, right. the picture with the beer can on Facebook that doesn't seem like a big deal when you're 18 or 21, depending on the state or country, yeah. you're in, but becomes a big problem when you're applying for a job. Yeah. Of that nature. And I, I should have taken a picture of you at the state bar with that crazy hat you were wearing <laughs> and posted it on the web. No, I'm only kidding. I wouldn't do that. Oh, that's okay. It's actually just an extension of my brain anyway. <laughs> I have to ask you, how did you get to be so techy, Perry? Well, I actually came to be a lawyer kind of backwards. Um, I came, I started as an audio engineer. I was a professional studio musician um, oh. in the uh, late 70s and 80s, and I was also an engineer. Uh, then got into computers um, and computer networking, and then spent about 20, uh, 20 years exclusively in data technology before I decided in my uh, late 30s to put myself through law school and become an attorney. And the reason that happened was uh, I could see that technology and the law were just becoming a huge uh, uh, um, uh, challenge. And I really thought it would be a big advantage to have the law degree to go with the technical knowledge. So I actually was already a techie before I ever became a lawyer. Oh, well, we're so lucky that you've got both of those. That's wonderful. So, you know, one of the things that always drives me crazy is uh, passwords. So what can you share about protecting and remembering our passwords? Well, and this is a challenge because if you read the advice that you get on how to deal with passwords, I don't practically believe anybody can follow it. They say, you know, for every sensitive site that you have a password, like banking and credit cards, use a different password. Well, if you're like me, you'll never be able to track them all. And then the other risk is that if you use one of these password services, those passwords are housed on the Internet and could be hacked. So you're really just adding another level of risk. So what I suggest, first of all, is that people think in terms of like what we did in law school or you may have done in college, is think in terms of mnemonics. Try to come up with a phrase that makes only sense to you 
and um, and then you know maybe use the first letter of that phrase to make up the password. It's very important that when you make passwords, it shouldn't mean anything to anyone else who knows you. People do make the mistake of familiar things like sisters' names, parents, automobiles, anything. The problem is if if it's something you can guess, somebody who knows you can guess it as well. And and that is what you want to stay away from. It shouldn't make sense to anyone. So start with that. Then it's got to be a minimum of eight characters. Uh, the difference between six and eight characters in a password can be hacking it within two minutes versus maybe two weeks if done properly. You also want to include numbers. You want to include upper and lower case letters and symbols uh, would be good as well, and not in any pattern that makes sense. So that's the way the user should be thinking, because the whole there have been uh, documented cases where people who don't even know the victim simply go read their Facebook page, look up things like their family names, dogs, cars, etc., and are able to hack the password by guessing. I know it's really it's really hard. But I had asked you at the state bar, and you said, "Yeah, uh, that it might be better if you have one of these encrypted um, thumb drives." Yes, I, my recommendation is that it stays with you. Yeah. It should be on a thumb drive or your system. It's yours. It should not go to the web yeah. because you're simply giving more people access. And also what's very important for people to understand is their concept of how passwords are hacked is the opposite of how it really is. They don't run through try to guess in most cases. It's automated systems. They already have every conceived password that's been in existence that they can think of in a database, then they run that database against the account. Wow. So in other words, they're not trying to find it. They already have it and are trying to match it. And so it sort of works in reverse of the way people think it does. So the key is if you've got something different, that's the difference between them getting in quickly and, and maybe never getting in. And with hackers, Time is of the essence. You know, eventually they're going to move on to another system if they can't crack yours. Right. Unless it's something they really want. They've been known to attack systems for years trying to hack in. Wow. Well, Perry Siegel, we are just about out of time. Let me just ask you one more question, and that would be, if you had just one or two things that you wanted to leave us with in terms of really uh, protecting our data, what what would that be? I'm going to switch a little bit to mobile privacy then. Good. I would say that the number one thing, do not use services in which you you, uh, broadcast where you are. Um, Do not turn on the GPS function on your phone except when you're actually using it or on your laptop or on your tablet. So you don't turn on that find my phone thing. Pardon me? So you, you don't turn on that thing that says find my phone. Yeah, you don't want any of these functions working okay. except if you need them because if you can uh, send your location, everybody knows where you are all the time. That is a huge security breach for you. Okay. These days that's not a safe thing to do, and that's one of the main things. And just always to remember that you know anything that you put out there can come back to haunt you even 20, 30 years in the future. Well, you are so wonderful, Perry. We so much appreciate you. So why don't you just give your website and then people could find out more about you and what you do. Okay, I'm going to send everybody then to my blog, which is where I I write on all these matters. And the uh, URL is www.ediscoveryinsights.com. 
That's the letter E, and then discoveryinsights.com, no spaces. Thank you so much for all your insights. We love you, Perry. Have a great, great day, okay? Thanks, Mari. I appreciate being on your show. Okay, talk to you soon. Take care. Take care. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about what's important to you about privacy and security and all this stuff in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.